When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. I'm your host, Corey Cohen, and in this episode, no surprise what we're going to be talking about. It's going to be the embarrassing loss of pit football to Western Michigan, 44-41. to It was unfortunately not surprising. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm actually going to drop in just a couple of clips from the season preview episode of this podcast of Unscripted that I did with Jim Hammett saying that it would not shock me at all if Pitt beat Tennessee and then lost to Western Michigan, as is exactly what happened. So I'm going to put those clips in here and then we'll come back in just a moment. I think they're going to go three and one in the non-conference. I don't know if that is losing to Tennessee, which would make some sense. Or if it's beating Tennessee, everyone's really amped, and then you lose to Western Michigan next week. Like That would not surprise me at all, just because I've been following Pitt for a while. Uh, UMass and New Hampshire definitely seem like layup wins. Western Michigan should be a win, but you never know with Pitt. And then, of course, the big game is at Tennessee. Uh, What do you think from Pitt? I mean, mean, do you think – and with your prediction, do you think that they go 4-0 in the non-conference, or do you think that they lose to Tennessee? Or do you think they beat Tennessee and then lose to Western Michigan, which would be very Pitt-like? So those were clips from the season preview episode of this podcast. And yeah, this was not a shocker. And I think that's a problem for this program, that beating Tennessee and losing to Western Michigan, yeah, we talked about it like, haha, you know, that'd be absurd, but who knows? Yeah, that was extremely possible, and then it happened. Pitt allowed 44 points to be scored on them by a directional Michigan. 44 points by Western Michigan. This is easily the worst loss for Pat Narduzzi in his career as a head coach. There were a couple bad losses, either really close losses that they should have won, or some embarrassing losses, like when they allowed 50 points uh, to be scored by Penn State. That was Penn State. This is Western Michigan, and you allowed them to score 44 points at Heinz Field. It's an embarrassment, especially when it wasn't just, you know, a couple players missing some plays, missing a tackle here or there. This was being fully outcoached and outplayed. This was Western Michigan coming in with a better game plan, coming in much better prepared, and then all throughout the game, including halftime, When Western Michigan was doing the same thing, Pitt didn't make adjustments. And so for Pat Narduzzi to be outcoached, outprepared, 
and out-adjusted by the head coach of Western Michigan and to allow 44 points from a directional Michigan at Heinz Field is a complete embarrassment. And that is what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Narduzzi failed. He failed at his job to get his team ready and hyped for a home game that they should have won, again, comfortably. And then he failed again by being outcoached and not making any adjustments. The first half was bad. The first half going into halftime uh, tied was bad. But you can make adjustments there. Sometimes that happens, that a team, especially coming off a win like against Tennessee where you were on the road and it was a big win even though Tennessee's not great and it was in front of a ton of fans and you know booing you, whatever, and you go out and you get the win. And then sometimes a team will come out a little bit slow. I get that. That happens. And sometimes it takes a little bit to shake off the cobwebs. Again, that happens. But you go into halftime tied with Western Michigan. And if you don't make adjustments to see, okay, this is what Western Michigan is doing. I wasn't sure going in, but this is what they're doing. We're going to adjust and stop it. And if you don't do that, that is a complete failure on the part of the coaching staff. And what's extremely frustrating is that what Western Michigan was doing wasn't even all that creative. They were doing mostly the same thing over and over again. It's like in Remember the Titans when they run the option and they say, just like Novocaine, give it time, it always works, and they just run the same type of play over and over and over again, and that was the entire offense And Remember the Titans. That's essentially what Western Michigan was. This is a team that had no interest, for the most part, in running the ball. Now, they did later in the game, but for most of that game, Pitt was actually outrushing uh, Western Michigan, which is absurd when you've seen the Pitt run game. But Western Michigan did not have much interest in running the ball. And it was obvious. And and to Pitt's credit, the run defense does seem pretty good. And so they forced Western Michigan to pass. And that's what they were doing most of the day. The problem is that they were running fairly simple pass plays. And they succeeded most of the time. They were just running slants. That's all they were doing for the most part. They were running slant plays. And Western Michigan kept getting easy catches, open catches, and then kept getting plenty of yards after the catch. It was maddening. It was the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Pitt kept doing the same exact thing. They had the same defense. They were just blitzing the quarterback and leaving not much when it comes to the defensive backs. And these wide receivers were open almost every single play. And somehow, when you factor in the definition of, of insanity, Pat Narduzzi and Randy Bates and the Pitt defense, they were running the exact same type of defense the entire game, seeing what Western Michigan had brought, seeing what they were doing all day, and they never changed. They never made adjustments. They kept doing the same thing and expecting different results. It was insanity. 
And Western Michigan, with a fairly simple game plan, was able to beat Pitt. And you can tell that it was simple because it's been done before. After the game, the head coach of Western Michigan, Tim Lester, came out and said, yeah, we just watched game film from the Syracuse game a couple years ago when they scored all those points, and we just did what they did. And because Pitt's defense is the same, they run the exact same scheme, they do the same things, and they found a way to exploit them, so we're just going to do that and hope that it works. And it did work, because the defense didn't change scheme, they didn't make adjustments, not just from a couple years ago, but in this game, when they saw exactly what Western Michigan was doing, they did not make the adjustments to change anything. And that again, that's just unacceptable for a coaching staff to be outcoached by a Mac coach, to be outplayed by a Mac team, and to not just lose a game, but deserve to lose a game. And deserve a lose deserve to lose a game in that fashion. Just wholly unacceptable. And I think what's especially frustrating, if you're a Pitt fan or if you watch this team, is this is year seven for Pat Narduzzi. Pat Narduzzi came in as a defensive coordinator for Michigan State, orchestrating one of the top defenses in the country. That was his thing. His entire shtick was defense. He was the defensive guy, and he had a great defense at Michigan State. He was going to build up a great defense at Pitt. It was going to be a defense first team. And that was going to be the identity of Pitt football. This was supposed to be his specialty. Right now, Pitt ranks 75th in the country in total defense. They allowed 44 points to be scored by Western Michigan. 517 yards from Western Michigan. I just don't know how you can have a defensive-minded coach whose entire specialty is in defense and allow 44 points from Western Michigan and have the 75th best defense in the country in year seven. Because at that point, what is your reason that you should remain head coach? If you're a defensive guy and the defense isn't good, In year seven, then why should you remain head coach? And the defense had been good in the in the past, but so far this season, it's not looking too good. They didn't look very good against Tennessee, and they looked dreadful against Western Michigan. And even though they had this stellar front seven these last few years, and they still look to have a pretty good front seven, their run defense still looks pretty good. But the defensive backs, in the season preview episode uh, that I did with Jim Hammett, we were talking about the defensive backs and how shaky that unit is. And because of that, because of just a couple of players leaving, because of DeMar Hamlin not being with the program anymore and having graduated, all of a sudden the entire defense falls apart. You miss one or two good players in your backfield, your defensive backfield, and that's it and the the defense just can't function anymore, that is pretty pathetic. You can't be that reliant upon one player or two players 
And then when they're gone, everything falls off a cliff outside of maybe the quarterback position. But for a defense, it shouldn't be that reliant on one or two, one or two players. And it seems like it is. It seems like now that DeMar Hamlin is gone, that they just can't get much accomplished in the secondary. And because the secondary is failing at covering receivers, that allows opposing offenses to do essentially whatever they want. And that's a huge problem. And what's incredibly bizarre is that, again, Pat Narduzzi, who came in as a defensive guy, a defensive specialist, a defensive coordinator, a guy who was going to spend all his time on the defense, sort of hand over reins to the offense. At first it was Matt Canada, and, you know, they, they moved some things around. Um, excuse me, Cheney and, and Canada, and, and then uh, they moved some things around. But his entire, again, his entire shtick was on the defensive side of the ball. And you look at the team this year, and they're 21st in the nation in total offense and 75th in the nation in total defense. This is like what Pitt was when he got here. When Pat Narduzzi got to Pittsburgh, it was an offensive team that had been led for a few years by Paul Crist. And then Matt Canada is the offensive coordinator, and, and he's got some really exciting plays. There's a ton of talent that they've got. And they're one of the better offensive teams in the nation, but pretty poor defensively. And that's back to what they are. In year seven of a defensive coach with a defensive philosophy, three games in, they're 21st in the country in offense, 75th in the country in defense. So again, you have to ask the question, if your head coach's entire identity, his entire specialty is on the defensive side of the ball, and the defense is failing, then what does that say about why he should remain head coach moving forward? And when you really think about it, this offense that's 21st in the nation, because, okay, you could make the case, I guess, that, well, if you've got a great off, sure, he's a defensive guy, but maybe they built up a great offense and defense is just weak this year. Okay. The reason the offense is that high is because of Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett, in not his best game on Saturday, and he got hurt, and he was out for a decent amount of time and came back, and you don't know how much he's hurting. But again, Kenny Pickett, in not a great day, had 380 yards passing. He only had eight incompletions. Uh, Each pass averaged for just under 13 yards per pass. He had one interception, but he had six touchdowns that is the best quarterback performance from uh, a pit qb in years since tom savage it's the most uh, uh touchdown passes in a game since tom savage years ago and kenny pickett did that again not on his best day not to mention he led the team in rushing which of course goes back to how horrible the run offense is that kenny pickett had 49 yards rushing and that led the team by far. It was more than twice the next highest rusher in the game. Vincent Davis had 12 carries for 20 yards. And Israel Abanakanda, I have no clue what happened to him because they only let him touch the ball once. And no one ever really explained what's going on there. You can't have an offense that is all passing. 
It's not going to work. And even Pat Narduzzi, who again is more of a defensive guy, has said he wants his offense to be run first. They want to be able to beat you in the trenches, and then they'll be able to air it out. And they can't do that. And again, the only reason that this offense is as good as it is and that they could score 41 points is because of Kenny Pickett himself. It's not because they established a run game. It's not because they've got wide receivers doing sensational things. They've got good receivers. But it's because Kenny Pickett is doing what he has to do. This is an offense that is just doing whatever they can to stay in these games. But it's not sustainable. And when you think about it for more than a minute, you realize that this is Kenny Pickett's last year. He can't come back again. This is it. He's a great quarterback, one of the top quarterbacks in the ACC, and one of the top quarterbacks in Pitt's history. He just passed Dan Marino in terms of all time uh, as a Pitt quarterback, and he is the reason that this offense ticks. He won't be here next year. So if you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, does the head coach deserve to keep his job? And you look at how poorly the defense has been playing in year seven of a defensive-minded coach. And then you look at the offense and you say, well, they've been playing pretty well. But think about next year. Kenny Pickett's going to be gone next year. Think about how the offense would be this year if Kenny Pickett had gone to the NFL as many expected him to. If Nick Patty was the starting quarterback of this team. And Nick Patty, I'm sure, is fine. I'm sure he's an average quarterback and maybe he can grow into something. But he's not one of the top quarterbacks in the ACC like Kenny Pickett is. If Kenny Pickett were not on this team, the offense would not be good because you can't have a good offense if your running game is completely non-existent. I don't care how good Nick Patty might be. And again, this is not even close to anything personally, but if you have no running game, there is nothing that a quarterback can do unless it's an excellent quarterback and an experienced quarterback like Kenny Pickett. So imagine this team without Pickett, if it's this year or what it will have to be next year. This offense, with this run game and someone not named Kenny Pickett at the quarterback position, they're going to be bad. They won't be able to do much. And yes, you have talent. You've got Jordan Addison. You've got some talent at that position. But ultimately, it won't matter if you don't have a phenomenal quarterback and your running game just doesn't exist at all. It won't matter. And so when I give you these numbers, 21st in offense, 75th in defense, just think about that without Kenny Pickett. They would probably be about 75th in offense as well as 75th in defense. And I don't know how you can say that in year seven that that would be acceptable for a head coach because Kenny Pickett so far has been bailing them out. And we'll see moving forward. You, you hope that he's healthy. I actually saw him. I was in Pittsburgh for this game, and I was at the game. And then the next day I went to um, uh, breakfast, and I saw Kenny Pickett. Uh, and uh, he looked good. You know, there, nothing obvious injury-wise. So there, there's no reason to expect that uh, that he won't be fine moving forward. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a layman. I, I just saw him briefly. and But, but there was certainly nothing obvious that made it – that the would make you worried that he's going to have a, a nagging injury uh, or anything moving forward. He, he seemed fine. So with Kenny Pickett, this offense will be 
pretty good because he is a great quarterback. But without him next year, there's I just don't see any way that they can be good. And the defense is just not doing anything. Because it's one thing if, okay, you've got Kenny Pickett, he's there, you've got an offense that you love, quarterback eventually has to leave, he graduates and goes to the NFL. And sure, there's going to be a year where you have a new quarterback and things are going to be a little bit rough and you try to build build stability there. That'll happen. But if you have a defense which isn't or shouldn't be so reliant on one player, if you have a defense that is at the level that Pat Narduzzi should have a defense, then you can take a year where the offense isn't that good and still be okay. But it just doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like the offense is going to fall off a cliff, and the defense has already fallen off a cliff, that they are just not a great defense, and that's what Pat Narduzzi needs. And so when you just imagine what where this team would be without Kenny Pickett, it's really bad. It's really, really bad. And that's going to be the team next year. And I have no idea how they're going to win enough ball games for job security without Kenny Pickett. Because so far, it's been rough. We're going to take a very quick break uh, and uh, come back in just a few moments. And then we'll talk about how hot the coaching seat should be for Pat Narduzzi. What candidates could be out there if Pitt decides to go in a different direction and uh, how Pitt could possibly turn this around, and how Pat Narduzzi could keep his job. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a second, right here on Unscripted. Okay, we are back. So, just before the break, was talking, starting to talk about Pat Narduzzi and job security and moving forward. Is he the right guy? Because how can you say he's the right guy when a defensive coach in year seven can't coach a good defense? So, you wonder, could this be Pat Narduzzi's last season? And I said in the season preview that after last year, which was not a very good year, I thought the seat was a little bit hot, hotter than a lot of other people. A lot of other people thought, okay, this should be a good year and things should be fine. I thought, I think this team can win eight games. It wouldn't shock me if it's seven. And if that's the case, I don't know how hot the seat is going to be. And after that game against Western Michigan, the seat's getting really hot. He is on an incredibly hot seat, and there is an extremely real possibility that this could be his last season as head coach of the Pitt Panthers. I think when you look at things now, they've started 2-1 and one and not sort of the more acceptable 2-1 and one, uh, where you beat uh, Western Michigan and lose to Tennessee. But after losing to Western Michigan at home, I think the only way that Pat Narduzzi could argue that he should keep his job is if they turn things around and they go at least eight and four in the regular season. I think everyone going into this year was saying, okay, eight and four, you really want to get to nine wins or more, but at the very least you, you need eight wins because other than that, you're accepting mediocrity in year seven with a quarterback, essentially a fifth year quarterback in Kenny Pickett. And you look at the way things now are, are now, and I still think that he needs a minimum of an eight and four record to keep his job. I think if he goes seven and five or worse, I do think it's his last season. There's a chance, even if he were to go eight and four, maybe Heather like thinks about 
going in a different direction. But I think eight and four, and he keeps his job, even with his loss to Western Michigan. Six and six or worse, and I think he definitely loses his job. Seven and five is a tough position, and and it can be really that's sort of the gray area. So let's look at the rest of the schedule, because if he needs say eight and four to be able to keep his job, and for people to be able to accept that, that means winning six of the last nine games. Does the team that just lost to Western Michigan have six more wins left in them this season? Now, it's definitely tricky because anyone who's followed Pitt knows that this is a team that can look great one week and then horrible the next week and then back to great the next week. And so, yes, the defense was bad against Tennessee and they were awful against Western Michigan. However, they can turn it around. I'm not saying they definitely can't. I'm not predicting that they turn it around. But just like it didn't shock me the pit loss to Western Michigan, if you go back and listen to the season preview episode, I sort of not really jokingly said, yeah, knowing Pitt, they're going to beat Tennessee and then lose to Western Michigan. And while I didn't make that my official prediction, it did not at all shock me. And again, I, I said in that season preview that there was a very real chance that that could happen. And then, of course, it did. So there's a chance that this defense can turn it around and that this whole team can turn it around and have... Uh, a, still a, a very good season. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that they'll finish probably with seven wins, but can they get to eight? Yeah, they can. They need to win six of their last nine games. Next, they've got New Hampshire. That should be a win. You never know, but that should be a win. Then they've got Georgia Tech on the road. Now, Georgia Tech just played an excellent game against Clemson. They did lose, but only 14-8 to eight was the final score. So that all of a sudden is not going to be the layup that a lot of people thought it was. Pitt's going to have to you know, face a tough time with the Yellow Jackets down in Atlanta. But if you beat New Hampshire and if you beat Georgia Tech, and now you're 4-1, and one, and you go and you play a game with Virginia Tech on the road, that becomes a huge game. And if you win that game and you're 5-1, and one, then I think the seat cools off. I think beating New Hampshire doesn't do anything. Beating Georgia Tech doesn't do too much. But if you go into Virginia Tech and you beat the Hokies on the road and you move to 5-1, and one, then I think the seat cools off. But if you lose to either Georgia Tech or Virginia Tech and then Clemson's the week after and then Miami, that's going to be bad. I don't know how they survive that. The only way, I think, is if they start 5-1, and one, if they beat New Hampshire and Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech, then you can lose to Clemson and even lose to Miami and maybe North Carolina and maybe Virginia, and and you, you have some wiggle room there. Because, again, to get eight wins, they need to win six more of the next nine. That means they can afford to lose three. Chalk Clemson as a definite loss, and you've got two. You can take two more losses. And I could see a lot of these teams beating Pitt. Georgia Tech, it's possible after how they played Clemson. Virginia Tech, certainly possible. Duke, uh, excuse me, Miami, 100%. They could definitely beat the Panthers. Uh, Duke, I don't think so, but you never know. North Carolina could definitely beat Pitt. Uh, Virginia, the next week, they've had a, a decent start so far. They could beat Pitt. 
And uh, Syracuse, I don't think so. I, I think Pitt would be able uh, to beat Syracuse, but you never know. And uh, just when you look at that schedule, you can't say there are definitely six more wins in that schedule. I, I could see it happening, but you can't say there are definitely six more wins. And if Pitt doesn't get to an 8-4 and four regular season record, I don't know that Pat Narduzzi can argue that he should keep his job, especially with the way that the, the setup works that you would essentially need an extension for recruiting purposes. So you don't have just a couple of years left in your contract. You, you always want to have like four years left in your contract. So when you go to a recruit's house, you could say, Hey, I'm going to be here your entire uh, time at this school. There's no way you can extend him. If, if, if Pat Narduzzi finishes the season seven and five or worse, you can't extend him and you might even have to fire him. So they have to get to eight wins for anyone to really feel not even good, but at least decent about how things are. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's what they need. Uh, in terms of candidates, it's very early, but any time that you talk about firing a coach, potentially letting go of a coach, you have to think about who could you possibly replace that coach with. And in the past, it hasn't been so obvious. There are a couple good choices right now. Uh, who who could become Pitt head coach if they decide to go in a different direction. Uh, the first call you would make would be to someone like Luke Fickle, the head coach at Cincinnati. He would probably laugh and hang up immediately because he's got Cincinnati in a really good spot, and then he can take essentially any job that he wants in the country. So you at least put in the call, but he's going to hang up. But here are some realistic options that Pitt could go with when it comes to looking for uh, a new head coach if they move on. The first realistic call you make is to Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead, uh, who was the offensive coordinator at Penn State when they had that offense really rolling and uh, and they looked like just a great offense. Uh, he's from Pittsburgh originally. His first job uh, as a coach was as a grad assistant at Pitt. So you've got a Pitt guy, a Pittsburgh guy, and he is now... So he was the, the offensive coordinator at Penn State... He got a head coaching job because he was so good as the offensive coordinator at Penn State. He got a head coaching job with Mississippi State. Now, he wasn't bad there. It just wasn't great. Uh, the first year, they went 8-5, and 0-4 uh, in conference. It was not um, – it was it was solid but not great. And then the second year, they went 6-7, and 3-5 and in conference, and they fired him. Mississippi State has very high, probably too high – uh, expectations, and so he was on an extremely short lease, uh, leash. Over time, if you give him four or five years to really build up a program, I think he would be a really good head coach. After Mississippi State, uh, when he got fired, he went and became the offensive coordinator at Oregon, and Oregon right now, after years of wandering in the desert, of being this bastion for offensive football, one of the best, maybe the best offensive team in college football, uh, they seem to be back. They beat Ohio State convincingly. They played great, and all of a sudden, Oregon looks to be back to their old selves as a, a national title contender sans Alabama, but certainly a playoff contender and a worthy playoff contender at that. And Oregon seems to be back in large part due to the offense that is being led by Joe Moorhead. And I, I believe that he'd be interested. The only thing that would make him not interested is if the Penn State job were to open up, uh, he, like most people, would prefer that as as head coach. Uh, but the chan the only way that opens up is if James Franklin uh, leaves to go to USC, which is possible. But 
obviously not set in stone. And even if he were to do that, it's not a guarantee that Penn State would hire Joe Moorhead. They could hire someone else. They could maybe pick off Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. They could get a lot of people. And so there's a decent chance that Joe Moorhead will be available and willing to take a pit head coaching job. And I think that's a, a re, that'd be a great hire uh, if you're Heather Like. A couple other interesting options, Tom Herman. Tom Herman, who also was a great offensive coordinator uh, for a little bit at o- Ohio State, one of the best offensive coordinators, but probably the best uh, offensive coordinator in the country. Then he got a head coaching job at Houston, looked good there for a couple seasons. Then he got bumped up to Texas. Similar thing with uh, Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State. Extremely high expectations, extremely short leash, and uh, things weren't bad, but they just weren't great. And at those two places, they expect a whole lot. I don't think that Tom Herman, how things worked out at Texas, says that he's a bad head coach. I think Texas is a little bit cursed, and uh, and I think the expectations are too high. And I think they just had too short of a leash. But I think that Tom Herman would still would be a good head coach in college football. We never really got to see what he could do at Houston, but things were looking good. And again, it's one thing if you just crash out at one of these jobs. If you're Joe Moorhead and you crash out at Fordham, or if you're Tom Herman and you crash out at, uh, at Texas. But neither of those guys did that. They just weren't great there, and they got fired because of the expectations. And so if you're pretty good, if it, not just pretty good, if you're good at Mississippi State, if you're good at Texas, I think that you're a good coach. Those are, are tough places to coach, again, with very high expectations and a whole lot of competition. So if you do well there, as long as you don't really look bad, I still think that you could be a good head coach. Right now he's uh, like an assistant, not an assistant coach. Um uh, with uh, the Chicago Bears, uh, but that seems to just be sort of a, a temporary uh, setup for Tom Herman because you know right now it's offensive analyst and special projects coach. That's not a permanent thing. He would take a college head coaching job uh, in a Power Five conference. So Tom Herman, I would totally be sold on him. A uh, couple other names you could throw out there: Bill O'Brien, obviously formerly head coach at Penn State, and then the Houston Texans uh, did not do too well in the NFL, but. He did pretty well at Penn State, so you can make a case, okay, the NFL's not for him, just like it wasn't for Nick Saban. Uh, He's better as a college head coach, and uh, where he really sort of got into trouble with Houston was more on the general manager end of it, where he was making player personnel decisions. But as a coach, he's pretty good, and obviously personnel is completely different with college. It's recruiting, it's not free agency and trades and all that. Uh, So you could make the case that he could be good, and and he might want to come back into the uh, college game as a head coach now that he's been fired by the Texans, so that'd be an option. Uh, you could look at uh, a guy like Tim Lester, uh, the head coach at Western Michigan who just beat Pitt, who just outsmarted the current Pitt head coach. That would be uh, an interesting thing uh, to do. Also in the MAC, you could look at someone like Sean Lewis, uh, who's the young head coach at Kent State. They've been one of the better teams in the MAC. Uh, and uh, and you wonder if that could be an option uh, if you're looking at MAC coaches. There's not one slam dunk. Definitely, this is the best coach in the MAC. This is the best team in the MAC. Uh, but two solid options in Tim Lester from Western Michigan and Sean Lewis from Kent State. Uh, and then one that would sort of be poaching a coach, which Pitt doesn't normally do, but this one could happen, uh, which is Jeff Halfley, who's the head coach at Boston College. 
they they don't seem to value football as much as Pitt could in terms of how much they'd be willing to pay a coach. So I think uh, getting a coach from Boston College it probably would come with a pay raise and also a cheaper cost of living, which could be good. Um, it also helps uh, that Halfley is from New Jersey, so uh, it's you know a little bit closer to his natural sort of recruiting base. Um, he was a defensive assistant at Pitt for a couple seasons, and then he was the secondary coach uh, for uh, a few seasons with the Panthers. And so he's got some history with Pitt. Uh, he's been at Boston College. This is his second year. Again, a tough place to, to play, but uh, had a solid season in 2020 and obviously a weird year. And so far in 2021, he's off to a really good start. So, uh, again, in, in a tough place to play, Boston College, tough place to win. So I think Jeff Halfley, that would be one. It's interesting. It's not too often you can poach a coach from another ACC school, but I think it would be possible. Uh, the Pitt would be able to get Jeff Halfley from Boston College. So those are just a few coaches between, uh, like I said, Halfley, uh, between the couple of Mac coaches, between Herman, O'Brien, Joe Moorhead, that are realistic possibilities that I think would be worth taking a shot at and and could very well be upgrades over where things are right now in year seven uh, of this coaching staff, of this administration. I don't know about the Mac coaches. That might be more of a lateral move. But I, I think if you could get someone like Moorhead or Herman uh, or maybe a Halfley or maybe an O'Brien, that that could be a step up. And this uh, program needs a step up because the status quo just clearly isn't working. So before we go, uh, Panther of the Week can't be anyone from the Pitt football team, although Kenny Pickett had a you know, a really good performance again. He's got so much heart. He's got so much determination. He's a real leader, and, and Pitt fans are lucky that he came back and lucky that he's a Panther. Uh, but, you know, overall, as as well as he played in the six touchdowns, uh, it just, after Pitt football loses that game, you just can't give it to anyone on the Pitt football team or associated with it. Uh, it's got to be volleyball. I mean, in, in when you watch Pitt football and how they are letting uh, the fans down when it comes to that game and how they can disappoint, uh, one, one squad that does not disappoint is Pitt volleyball. Pitt Volleyball is incredible. They are still undefeated in the season. They are the fourth-ranked team in the entire country. And Pitt, there was always the argument about football school, basketball school. Pitt's a volleyball school. The volleyball team, that's a program that does not let fans down. They put it all out there. They always come prepared. They've got great players, great coaches. And uh, again, so far, undefeated number four in the nation and chasing a national championship. Complete credit to them. All hats off to Pitt Volleyball. Uh, continue watching, giving your support to them, and just, in general, just paying attention. I know we cover them at Cardiac Hill. Uh, I try to talk about them on this podcast. Just pay attention, because what they're doing is incredibly special. And instead of getting mad about Pitt Football for the hundredth time, maybe use a couple of those minutes to to think about and watch and talk about Pitt Volleyball, because they really deserve uh, the eyeballs, and they are crushing it. Uh, so right now, Pitt Volleyball, Panthers of the Week, because Pitt is now a volleyball school. So that is it for this episode of Unscripted. Uh, we will be back next week to talk about the Pitt-New Hampshire game. Uh, I don't think it'll be too dramatic, but we'll see. You never know with the Panthers. Uh, so we'll be back again on Tuesday morning to talk about the Pitt-New Hampshire game and then entering ACC schedule. So we're going to be talking about the ACC and uh, what I think could happen in the ACC. And, and we'll see if Pitt can, in fact, turn the season around 
or if Pat Narduzzi remains on the hot seat and if this could be his last season. Uh, until next time, you can follow and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Search for Cardiac Hill uh, and subscribe on Apple. You can uh, rate us and leave a review. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Corey E. Cohen, C-O-R-E-Y-E-C-O-H-E-N. And uh, please tune in next week. Until then, I'm Corey Cohen signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast.